Welcome to The Bid, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing the economy and finance. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. Recent events in the banking sector around Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse have made clear the importance of staying nimble as investors. The old investment playbook is out, and a new regime that considers higher inflation, higher interest rates, and higher market volatility is in. Here to explain what investors can expect in the second quarter, I'm pleased to welcome Wei Li, Global Chief Investment Strategist for BlackRock. Wei, welcome to The Bit. Thank you so much, Oscar, for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Wei, markets have given us quite a ride already in 2023. And just taking a step back, it feels similar to 2022. Not so much in terms of the returns across asset classes, but what is driving those returns. Last year, we talked a lot about macro drivers of the market. So things like the Fed, interest rates, inflation, that seemed to have a big impact. Would you agree that this year is more of the same? Absolutely. So if you think about actually the whole of 2023 so far, it has been a very macro market, right? So if you think about the U.S. equity market, for example, more than 90% of the year-to-day return were driven by seven names, mostly tech names. So we're talking about the market being a very macro-driven and duration-driven type of market so far this year, which is, I think, Intuitive in that what we have seen is significant rate moves translating into parts of the equity markets that are duration-sensitive, reacting and overreacting. But our expectation is that the focus of markets would shift from the broad-brushed prevalent market narrative being rates and duration and top down to back to fundamentals, back to basic and back to earnings. And on that basis, if you think about the trends that we expect is coming into this year, so specifically I'm talking about earnings would come under pressure and margins would compress, they are actually playing out. So if you look at the last earnings season for Q4 last year, it was the first quarter of earnings contraction since late 2020 for the U.S. equity markets. And we have seen negative operating leverage. We have seen a decreasing margin. So all of those trends, they are playing out. It's just that actually markets were not taking note of that because the prevalent narrative of the market is very macro-driven rather than micro-driven. But it is my expectation that focus will shift to earnings and micro and fundamentals and basics over time as we look at the rest of 2023, because over a longer period, indeed, it is the earnings that very much determine how equities would perform. So just to put the year-to-day market into context and frame that in a very macro perspective, but I do think that's earnings will matter more and more as we navigate the rest of the year. So 
So as we enter the second quarter of the year, I can't help but think back to some of the themes that you and other members of the BlackRock Investment Institute have mentioned over the past year. You've talked about the end of the great moderation and the beginning of a new market regime that will see higher volatility across things like interest rates and inflation. You've also talked about how the investment playbook of the past may not apply going forward, specifically as it relates to central bank policy. So take us through how your thinking has changed on some of these fronts. That's a great question, Oscar. It's a great question because it's important to take stock right now in the second quarter of the year. So as we entered 2023, the overall framing that we had is that this year is likely going to be, on aggregate, a better year for risk assets in comparison with 2022, where we had bear markets in equities and bonds. And the reason for why we had that view and we continue to have that view is because we think that inflation is falling, but parts of it will stay persistent. That's number one. Number two, growth is falling, but we're talking about a shallow recession, so not a deep and protracted one. And then number three is central banks, instead of hiking rates aggressively, at some point this year, they are going to pause. And that is a different type of environment versus the surprising on the hawkish side throughout the course of last year. So that's number three. And number four, for why we think that this year on aggregate will be a better year for risk assets is that China is restarting and reopening versus being in lockdown for 20. 22. So sitting at the beginning of Q2 and revisit all this framing that we had at the beginning of the year, what has changed? Did any of this change? Let's go through them one by one. Inflation is falling, yes, indeed, but also our expectation that parts of inflation are persistent. And that's getting more and more appreciated. At the beginning of the year, there were hopes, not our hope, but there were hopes in markets that inflation would just fall down to targets without paying to the economy. And I think that's now looking less and less likely and being appreciated as well. So inflation is falling, but parts of it is persistent. So we haven't changed our view on that front. And I think that's more embraced now as we see evidence of a tight labor market and sticky core inflation. On the second point about growth slowing down, I think the time horizon over which recession would kick in, I think that has been pushed out a little bit versus expectation at the beginning of the year, given resilient consumers. Look at retail sales, for example. So we still think that recession is coming, but instead of Q2, Q3, maybe second half of the year is looking more likely given the resiliency in the consumer side of the economy. I would say, though, the banking turmoil may represent a downside risk that would take time for us to fully understand the magnitude of this banking shock related credit crunch. But I would say recession core is still in place, but maybe pushed out a little bit more versus expectation at the beginning of the year. Central banks, we're getting close to peak in central bank rate hike cycle that we have not changed. The markets are hoping that central banks would come to the rescue of the economy with markets currently pricing two rate cuts into the end of the year and two, three rate cuts heading into next year. That we don't think would happen. So we're still leaning against market hopes for rate cuts this year. And that's why we have been modestly underweight parts of the equity markets, because markets are hoping for the old recession playbook and central banks cutting rates. I just don't think that, that would happen for this year, precisely because of the inflation dynamics. So that's point number three. China restarts for this year would have a six-handle 
And that was our view at the beginning of the year. I think consensus is moving closer to that now. And the momentum for China restarting is being more appreciated. So we haven't changed the view, but I think it's becoming more and more of the consensus. But what I would say didn't quite appreciate is how strongly sentiment wanted to embrace the rebound. So if you think about the strong momentum coming into 2023, our assessment is that it was really a fear of missing out rally here from clients and investors across the world that last year was really hard for portfolios because equities were down and bonds were down. So it would be very costly to actually also, after experiencing last year, to miss out on a rebound, which is why some are positioning for the rebound whilst recognizing that things could get worse before it gets better and we could be heading into a recession before we come out of it. And yet some are already positioning for that rebound. And I think that fear of missing out is that sentiment boost to market. And it's always hard to quantify things like that. But I think that's the missing piece so far this year as I revisit what transpired in the first quarter. Wei, you touched on 2022 and how tough a year it was for both stock and bond investors. But also you shared the view that 2023 would be better. Can you talk a bit about bonds in particular? I think this was an area that most surprised investors last year and specifically the losses they experienced in their bonds. So what opportunities are you seeing now in this particular asset class? I think bonds are more interesting now because income is finally back. So if there is one silver lining out of a very traumatic year that was 2022, is that, yeah, you get paid now for sitting in reasonably non-risky fixed income assets. For most part of last year and for most part of this year, we were close to maximum overweight investment grade credit, so quality credit. We trained that maximum overweight to modest overweight to take some profit because spread has tightened quite a bit. But that idea of being paid for taking very little credit or duration rules, for that matter, is very appealing. So uh, like bonds, an aggregate, but specifically front end of the curve, very front end, I'm talking about TBO in the U.S. Treasury market, as well as still a relative preference for quality credit over high yield credits, given our view that we are still heading to recession and default. Currently tracking at a low single digit could go up a little bit and that could impact high yield a bit more than investment grade. I would say last thing about investing in bonds, we currently also have a relative preference for emerging markets that over an aggregate developed market bonds because emerging market central banks, they were ahead of the curve in hiking rates coming out of the pandemic to the extent that they now have a bit of a, a, bit of a buffer. The number of emerging market central banks that are hiking rate is decreasing. And some of them are even talking about cutting rates, right? So there is something there that makes emerging market debt a bit more attractive. And also, if you look at traditionally the excess return for emerging market debt versus their developed market equivalents, that tends to be proportional to the economic momentum of the emerging market economies versus developed market counterparts. And currently, given the restart that is happening in emerging markets and also specifically in China, that is boosting the relative growth momentum in emerging market, which is another reason that we favor emerging market debt. But more broadly, just to say income is attractive in bonds for once after waiting for decades of very low yield. That makes bonds more attractive compared to before in developed world 
preference for very front end of the U.S. Treasury market, and also still a preference for IG quality credit over high yield and emerging market debt looks quite okay as well. Okay, got it. So it sounds like there are definitely opportunities in the bond market. You mentioned the shorter end of the government bond market. You talked about investment grade. You mentioned emerging markets. You've also talked about inflation. And I just want to come back to that. You said earlier that it is falling, but it will remain persistent. And I want to come back to this theme of living with inflation and this concept that central banks won't be coming to anyone's rescue. So what is it going to look and feel like for investors right now in terms of living with that kind of inflation? Yeah, we're going to be living with higher inflation, higher than pre-pandemic levels of inflation for longer than many expected. And I think if you look at market pricing, markets are underappreciating the degree to which we're going to have to do that. If you look at 10-year break-even, at some point it was just above 2, 2.1%. In our view in the U.S., 3 is the new tool in terms of where inflation would settle. So part of the new investment playbook is being more dynamic, is being more frequently assessing your investment views. So when market dislocation like that presents itself, we lean into it and we add it to our inflation-linked bond preference even more. So now actually looking at the market pricing, 10-year break-even is now comfortably above 2.3. So we have what we view as a target level as we think about where things should settle. And if market dislocation present opportunities, we take advantage of that. That's point number one. Point number two, you are absolutely right, Oscar. We're in an environment where there are structural forces that means inflation is going to settle at a higher level than what we got used to previously. And that is considering some of the cyclical forces driving inflation down, right? So we're talking about goods deflation, you know, like a good service rotation coming out of the pandemic is bringing part of the inflation mix down. But structural forces like aging demographics, labor shortage, geopolitical fragmentation, and the net zero transition, which ultimately is a series of supply shocks, means that inflation will settle at a higher level, which is why as we think about portfolio construction over both the medium and the long term, we need to think about inflation protecting our portfolios, which is why we think we got to dig one layer below the debate of 60, 40, 40, 60, 50, 50, or whatever it is. We actually need to go into another layer of granularity and think about, yes, 60, 40, 50, 50. But what is your 60? What is your 40? Bonds. But it's got to be more granular than that. We have a preference for inflation links bonds over long duration nominal bonds for the reason that I just talked about in that market pricing is underappreciating that we're going to live with higher inflation than before, but also thinking about kind of the role of real assets in portfolio construction from the perspective of inflation protecting your portfolio. So as we evolve portfolio construction, think about real assets, private markets, but of course, also recognizing higher rate environment. What does that mean? But also thinking about going one layer below and thinking about what your bond allocation should be. And currently, we have a preference for inflation-linked bonds over nominal bonds. Well, it sounds very consistent with everything that you've been saying about the new investment playbook that is required going forward. So Wei, thank you so much for all these insights, and thank you for joining us on The Bid today. Thank you so much for having me, Oscar. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Bid. Next time on The Bid, Cristiano Amon, the CEO of Qualcomm, 
joins me to talk about the digital transformation that is underway and how it will transform industries across the board. If you've enjoyed this episode, why not share it with a friend and subscribe to The Bid wherever you get your podcast. This material is intended for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice, a recommendation or an offer or solicitation to purchase or sell any securities, funds or strategies to any person in any jurisdiction in which an offer, solicitation, purchase or sale would be unlawful under the securities laws of such jurisdiction. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change without notice. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risks. BlackRock does and may seek to do business with companies covered in this podcast. As a result, listeners should be aware that the firm may have a conflict of interest that could affect the objectivity of this podcast. For more information, visit blackrock.com forward slash the bid.